We've been uh, working through some of these prayers that are found in the scripture. Um, and the basic idea of our study is in the title, What We Really Need. And the idea is if the apostle is praying for the church and that prayer is recorded in the inspired text of the Bible, then that must be something that the church really needs. And uh, the other sort of assumption is we're not always particularly aware of everything that we actually need. That we're, we, uh, some things we notice that we need, like I get hungry, I need some food. Though I, I'm not a nutritionist, so I'm not that good at even figuring out what food I need. I, I eat what I want, and so I'm probably malnourished in various ways, and at the same time, slightly obese, you know, so that's not, uh, I'm, we're not always very good at determining our own needs, and so, uh, and of course in the scripture we're dealing primarily with things we might call spiritual needs, uh, and I think maybe in that case we're even a little bit less aware of what we really need. And so the idea is if we look at these prayers, we can see something that we really need. The other thing at the same time is these are things God provides. Um, and of course, it's good for us to notice that God provides for all of our needs. Um, and so one of the principle, one of the main things to learn if we're studying the prayers of the Bible is that we ought to pray, that we ought to see God as our provider and look to him <clears throat> to provide the things that we need. And some of these things, of course, in the spiritual life are things only God can provide. And so we're asking for God, we're asking God to provide something rather than thinking we're going to provide it for ourselves. Anyway, so with all that in mind, we're coming today to the book of Philippians. And uh, like we found in the book of Colossians and also in the book of Ephesians, there's a prayer right in the opening chapter. And this prayer is uh, in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. So I'm just going to read this. Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the first question we want to ask this text is, what is the central request of this prayer? And it's right at the top, of course. It says, uh, it is my prayer that your love may abound. Your love may abound. And more and more. <laughs> Which is a very interesting thing to say because abounding is already more and more. So it's sort of like that you'll more and more have love more and more. Um, the word abound means literally to overflow, to have more than one needs. So uh, Paul's saying, I want your love to abound more and more. Um, and so we might ask, how? That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. This word knowledge we've encountered before in our study of Paul's prayer when Paul prayed 
was it in Colossians, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Same word. It's this word epinosis. And that little prefix, the word gnosis is the basic word for knowledge. In fact, it's literally the word from which the English word knowledge is derived. But the the word gnosis just means knowledge in a general sense. What if you put this prefix epi on the front? Epinosis. Epi means on on top of or uh, in in uh, it means sort of and more so <laughs> you know like uh, so uh, in this case epinosis sometimes is translated uh, real knowledge or true knowledge and you think well knowledge is true or you can't really call it knowledge. So what does it mean to add this little extra signifier, true knowledge or full knowledge sometimes? It gets translated. Uh, well, <clears throat> I think we talked about this when, when we talked about the knowledge of God's will uh, because I used this illustration uh, between myself and Rick. You remember this? where I said, I know something about motorcycles or about cars. I can drive a car. I understand the basic principles of an internal combustion engine. I know, you know, you let some, uh, some uh, aerated gap fuel into the cylinder. And, you know, I got about this far before Rick started correcting my words, my word choices, because I said something was a piston when it was really just the piston head or something like that. I don't remember. Anyway, so I, but I have some knowledge. Um, But if we compare myself to Rick, we could say Rick knows engines. you, You might not know this, but Rick's like one of the world's leading experts on engines. He'd probably want to argue about that, but it's still true. He, especially uh, if you were talking about outboard boat motors, which I probably shouldn't even call a motor. But anyway, the uh, so he knows he's he's assembled engines. He's invented engines. He's created engines out of his head. Uh, well, so you could talk about me knowing engines. You could talk about Rick epi-knowing engines, like full, real understanding, full grasp by, which was formed by lots of actual personal contact with the thing known. I've had very limited personal contact with engines, uh, and a lot of it could be described as banging on them, hoping that might, that might fix something, you know. <clears throat> so uh, that's, that's kind of the idea of epinosis. It's an intimate knowledge based on personal experience. It's a personal thing. And uh, in, if we're talking about love, love is a personal thing. So we're talking about something that's doubly personal, uh, and so to truly love people, what this is sort of filling us in on, we, how does love abound in true knowledge? I think you might say like this, if you're really going to love somebody, you need to know that person. You don't love two different people exactly the same way. Uh, and some of you have kids, more than one kid, you know this, that how you love one of your kids is not the same as the way you really love the other one. Their personalities and characters are different. Their needs are different. And, uh, yeah, so he's saying that your love would abound in full knowledge, in real knowledge. Uh, 
So I would say this as well, to truly love people, you have to know them and you have to truly know God who truly loves people. So we're going to talk some more about that. The second word here is discernment. And this word for discernment is a word for like intuition, like insight, perception. So this is pressing this idea of knowing someone even deeper, don't you think? Like, how do you... Well, everyone here but me is married. How do you love your wife? You have to be perceptive. You have to be perceptive. You have to be able to, you have to have some intuition about communication that isn't communicated. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, kind of like that, right? Good, good going. I hope she doesn't listen to this recording. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, you, uh, so he's saying, look, I want, you, I want you to have abounding love, that's overflowing love, with real sound perception. Like, so you, you love someone with a true perception of that person and uh, a true perception, perhaps, of the situation in which you're operating. Um, so that's a, that's a big deal. Now he goes on to say with, uh, knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Now there's one translation of this text to prove what is excellent that says it like this, so that you can determine what is best. <laughs> In other words, uh, approve what is excellent means you can tell what the best option is and you agree with it. You approve it. There's something about you in this that says you're, you, you not only know the best option, you like the best option. You, because of your full knowledge, true knowledge and clear discernment. This is Paul's asking that we, the people of the church would be uh, rich in insight into each other, into other people, that we would be perceptive and uh, knowledgeable, that we would be, uh, you could say, something like excellent spiritual psychologists. That's a tall thing, isn't it? You know, that, that, this is how I need some help. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And partly, at least partly because people are so different. Every person I encounter, uh, we have a, ri a rich experience of this in the fellowship of our church because of the, also, not just the personalities and characters of each individual person, but also the great variety of cultural backgrounds uh, where not everyone is not operating from the same set of basic assumptions. Wow, we really need this. <laughs> if we're going to be exhibiting real love toward one another, we need... Uh, knowledge and discernment, the capacity to approve what's best, to see it and to agree. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, this is something to pray for. Um, now, the, my next question on your handout here is, what's the goal of re real knowledge and all discernment? And of course, we've already said what the goal is, that love may abound. Uh, but another way of asking this question is, how do, how do real knowledge and discernment contribute to the abundance of love? 
Well, we talked about that a little bit. When we approve what's excellent, we see what's best. We see what's best for someone else. So far, we've had a long discussion about love abounding. We haven't said anything about what love is. So maybe it's time for that. He says, uh, so that you be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, if you approve what's excellent. And so you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. There's a bit of a chain of events here. There's uh, purity and blamelessness for the day of Christ. If you go about abounding in love and you're, uh, you approve what's excellent, then you are, on the day of Christ, pure and blameless. I need to talk a little bit about what that means. Pure... <clears throat> you might think, as I did, pure in a context like this means, you know, something like sin-free or clean, you know, you know, or a sort of personal holiness. But what it really means is true. It's honest. It's uh, it's not. It's the same on the inside as it is on the outside. It's free from hypocrisy in this way. It's pure in the sense of being sincere. It's not phony. <laughs> it's no pretense. I, I thought when I looked up this word, I thought, wow, that's not what I expected to find. I expected something like clean purity. And there's a word in the scripture where you might see the word pure, and it means that. In this case, it means consistent. Like, you are who you are, and you're for real. And then the, the word blameless uh, does mean, well, nobody wants to blame you for anything. <laughs> you're not offensive. And so, and of course, in the day of Christ means we're looking at how how we're perceived from above uh, on the day of Christ. So uh, a person who, for whom God answers this prayer of abundant love with real knowledge and real perceptive judgment, that person will be for real and will not be a source of any offense. Oh. Well, he goes on to describe this even a little more carefully when he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Why doesn't he just say filled with righteousness? I just want to stop and let you think about that for a second. He says the fruit of righteousness. He says filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Christ. This made me think of chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but that the, uh, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Christ. So here's the chain of events involved here. When a person trusts in Christ, when a person comes to faith in Christ, the very righteousness of Christ is credited to that person. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, not a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The very righteousness, the life that Jesus lived as a righteous man, I get credit for that righteousness when I put my faith in him from God. That righteousness is just a credit. In other words, when God looks at me, he sees me 
under the righteousness of Jesus. He judges me to be righteous according to the righteousness of Jesus. Well, I haven't done anything yet other than trust in this, other than to say, yeah, I'll have that. Thank you. Well, however, when God imputes this righteousness to a person, that bears fruit. So this is how that righteousness might be exhibited in my actual life when he calls it the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Christ. So that righteousness becomes fruitful. If I were to ask you, what is the essence of righteousness according to the law of God? You should be able to answer this question. What is the essence of righteousness according to the law of God? You can describe it with one word. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, this is the sum of the law. And then he says one word, love. Love, the very thing we're, we're being prayed for here. So love, how does righteous become fruitful in love? When I express the love I've received, I am, I am by definition exhibiting the righteousness that has been imputed to me. I'm, when I uh, do what's good for someone because I perceive what is excellent, and so I do what's best for someone at my own expense, then I have a then I am, by definition, exhibiting the righteousness I have been credited with in Christ. When Jesus, the, the ultimate righteousness of Jesus is his sacrifice for the sins of his brothers. So that is perfect, that is really perfect righteousness in the sacrifice of Christ. So we tend to think of righteousness as something like going, going by the rules going by the book, and certainly the book describes it. But if I want to know what it is, not just the basic, the essential requirements of it, if I want to know what it is, the answer is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness, I am loving uh, and that just really means intentionally giving of myself for somebody else's benefit. It's that simple. Um, now, this is something I don't actually possess on my own, apart from the work of God. This, this is something that is only sourced in God. And really, it's only a reflection of the love God has given me. I love God in Christ by the Spirit. And when I experience his love, then I reflect it. Into, oh, so this is how that overflow thing might actually come to pass. The idea of abounding in love means... I've got this much capacity and I fill it up until some of it spills. So if I'm a vessel of God's love, that's how it works. Now I can try to love someone with real knowledge and discernment. Well, I know from experience this doesn't typically work out really well if I'm operating from my own personal resources. If, on the other hand, I am uh, experiencing and conscious of the love God has showered on me in Christ, then it just spills out on people. 
I, I might not even have to pay real close attention to doing it. I might accidentally spill some of God's love on somebody who happens to be near me. Um, <clears throat> so this is... Uh, now, I, I do think that's something we do on purpose, by the way, love people. It's not... We're not supposed to wait around for the accident of it to happen. But the, the source of it is God himself. Uh, and in case this wasn't clear, I just want to say this. All real righteousness is a reflection of God's love. That's an important sentence. All real righteousness is a reflection of God's love. If you do the right thing, but not out of the love of God, then it's not real. If you do the right thing, it's still good to do the right thing. Don't get me wrong. Doing the right thing is good, but it doesn't, it's, if it's from an independent spirit, then it's not real righteousness. It's self-righteousness. And we're going to see why this matters in the next phrase. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. <laughs> to the glory and praise of God. This reminds me of that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, where Jesus says they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And I think, why, why do they do that? Let your light so shine before men, Jesus says to the disciples, that they may see your good works and glorify someone besides you. That's strange. Typically, I do good works so that people will glorify me and appreciate me for my goodness and greatness and they'll like me because I've been so good and uh, but Jesus says so they'll see your good works and glorify him why would anyone do that why would anyone see your good works and glorify someone besides you only if it was evident that it was God in you oh so this love, this righteous, this fruit of righteousness is that. It's the work of God in you towards someone else. It's a reflection of his love. It's not something that comes from you. It comes from him. So a life of abundant love is a life in which Christ shines. Christ shines in a life of abundant love. The sort of love that Paul is asking for here. It, and it's recognizably Christ shining. It's a life of true worship. Um, also in the Sermon on the Mount, I've got to turn to it because I don't think I can quote it. In uh, Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So how do you glorify God? Through the fruit of the righteousness that comes from Christ, which means through overflowing love. Um, all of this also kind of reminds me of Hebrews 10. I put this reference in your, on the handout. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another 
Uh, let's get this straight. This translation, the, the original text here literally says, let us consider one another for the purpose of stirring up. Okay. So the let, let us think about each other. Let us actually carefully contemplate each other for the purpose of stirring up love and good works. Stirring up love and the expression of that love in good works. Uh, not neglecting meeting together. Oh, so you actually have to be together to do this. Not neglecting meeting together, as some like some people do, <laughs> but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, that's very much like, you know, pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Uh, so this idea of really getting to know each other for real, yeah, well, that also involves a certain level of personal transparency, right? Like, you might want to know me, and I might resist you getting to know me. Like, maybe I don't want to talk about what I need, because who wants to look like they're needy? Maybe I don't want to talk about my weaknesses or areas where I need help. Yeah, so we probably have to pry that kind of stuff out of each other. But what we, the other thing we want to do in the, in the life of the church is create a place where people know if I share a need, I'm not going to get rejected. I'm going to, I'm going to remain accepted in this community, even if I'm not as good as I pretend to be all the time. And when we create that security for each other, then we also create a level of openness toward each other. And that facilitates all of these things that Paul's praying for. Uh, so my notes here say it's time to notice that this is a prayer, not a commandment. So always remember that. <laughs> We're asking for these things. We are not producing these things. Now we get involved. I'm going to be the one that exhibits the love of God towards somebody. But God, I get this from him as a gift, as a, a part of his provision for me in Christ. So it's a prayer, not a commandment. And that brings me to this question. Paul prays that your love may abound still more and more. In the Greek, the original language, the way this your love is love and then the genitive you, love of you. I'm praying that the love of you Uh, now, maybe you can hear it when I say it just like that. That could mean more than one thing. The love of you might be the love you possess for others, or it might be the love you're getting. Somebody, the love, oh, for the love of so-and-so. Um, so, and this is one, this is just a problem in the, in the text itself. Is he talking about the love, how much love I receive or how much love I have to give? That's a question. A, how much love I receive. Is Paul praying that I will be, uh, well, receive more love? Or is he praying that I will provide more love? Is he praying that I will be loving or that I will be loved? B, how much love I have to give. That your love may abound, overflow. That's coming from somewhere. 
Yeah, it's a trick question. Yeah. It's a trick, it is. And that's the point of the question, right? Because A and B are the same. If I haven't received it, I don't have it to give. A and B are the same. I, you know that famous passage about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, uh, you know, if I'm, I'm all these things, but I don't love, and oh, that's worthless. Love does this and this and this and this. I'm not quoting it very well, am I? You know that famous passage? If I have not love, I could ask the same question. Is that asking about whether I'm exhibiting this love? or receiving it? And the answer to that question is, all those are the same. Yes. (laughs) The answer is that this or this is yes. It's this and the, these are, I give it because I have received it. That's the very meaning of the word abound. Overflow. If I say, I want this cup to be filled with water, overflowing. Am I talking about how much water I put into the cup or how much water I get out of it? That's the same. I only get out of it what has been put into it. Unless I think, and I do not, unless I think that a natural man operating apart from the ministry of the Spirit of God in Christ, knowing the love of Christ, unless I think that natural man can abound in this kind of love. I just don't think that's true. I don't think so. Because this is a righteousness of Christ kind of love. This is an exhibit of that righteousness that comes from Christ not one's own righteousness. Now, I would want to hasten to add, I think it is possible for natural human beings to be loving people. Of course. But what Paul's praying for is not just everyday, ordinary human love for each other. He's talking about a super abounding love that is an expression of the love of Christ And because it's an expression of the love of Christ, it's glorifying to God, not to the person. Though a person can't be separated from that either, can they? Because God does this through people. And so we might ask the question, one one question we might ask is, how do you receive this love that's going to overflow? Well, one thing is I'm, my mind, my vision is fixed on Jesus, for sure. And also, we share it. <laughs> I get it from you. You get it from me. And we're splashing around in the fountain of the love of Christ. And we do this together. So I'm splashing it on you, and I, and, you know, it's all... Uh, an overflowing sort of thing. <clears throat> last, last thing, reminder here, which we've already mentioned, <clears throat> what is God's ultimate purpose in answering this prayer? It's in the text. What is God, what is the, the end that all of these things serve? glory of God. Yeah. He says, to the glory and praise of God. Not yourself. But here's the thing. The most glorious thing a human being can be is a reflection of the glory of God. In other words, it's to the praise of his glory and we are caught up in that, in this whole 
experience that's being described in this prayer. Paul's praying, look, you have the love of Christ. I pray that the love of Christ will fill you to the point of overflowing. You'll become an exhibit of the love of Christ because of your great enjoyment of the love of Christ. And so you will begin to overflow with the, with the love of Christ, which, by the way, comes out in sometimes hard, sacrificial service to other people. Do we have to say that? That's what Jesus did, right? Uh, it involves you joyfully choosing to endure pain for the benefit of another person. Yeah. So it's not easy, uh, but it's also not complicated. It's about, I enjoy the love of Christ and I want other people to enjoy it. And so I give it. Uh, And that's what Paul's praying for. That's something we really need. I think when I was thinking about, you know, what we really need is love. I was, it reminded me of the song, All We Need Is Love. (laughs) All we need is love. I find, personally, I think of Mr. Eves, right? You set apart, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it has to be a distinction um, between a non-Christian and a Christian. Yeah. And especially when they deny it. Yeah, and the world, Jesus expects that to be visible, the difference. And like I said, the world ha- the world's not devoid of love. People can love each other. People can even exhibit amazing sacrificial love. You know, you think about a soldier putting himself in front of his, uh, his comrades. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's a real exhibit of love. Yet, Jesus expects, he says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. By the love you have for each other. Not the love you have for the world, but the love you have within the body of Christ. So, it's supposed to be some kind of identifying marker, right? Like, people should come into a church and go, Wow. What's with these people? They're so loving. I think, well, this is, man, this is something to pray for. (laughs) Like, God, please, that that would really be true of any group of Christians where we could say, yeah, if you if you come in here, you're going to experience this distinctive. The reason why I'm saying this is because. I believe I always have believed and I gave my life to Christ as different people on that family, right? Mm-hmm. My brother or sister who's a non-Christian who's not compared to us here mm-hmm. that we came to know the Lord. It's a different attitude. We all aware of how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. sincere, honest. Mm-hmm. You know? But within a within a family that it doesn't have that same mindset. Yeah. Came to, uh, or might not, right. right. Yeah. It's a different thing. So I can't compare myself. I can uh, compare myself more than a brother was to yeah. a believer. Right. Because he's aware of many things right. that we all tonight. And I always say the, the, the caring and the, the, the understanding how to treat one another and be open. Right. Is, is a. Um, the process within most Christians, right? Yeah. Because I hear, I hear some of the tell me, oh man, I can't understand, but you know, this person is, doesn't, he doesn't, I don't know, he has an experience. It's like, you know, I always tell him, listen, don't worry about that because you have to grow, right? Yeah, and I think this maybe helps us get at what is what is the difference? What is the thing that's different? And I think maybe the answer to that question is something like grace. As in it what the love we get from God isn't is undeserved. It's just out of his goodness. And 
It's grace. It's for free. It's undemanding. Um, and it's heart changing. So it kind of it might seem demanding, but it but it's it's demand it's demanding of something like joyful service, which isn't demanding, right? So the yeah, and I think the, how we treat one another in the fellowship of people who know this is is gonna well, we should expect it to reflect that very same thing. So someone might not do right. Even in the fellowship of the church, someone might offend someone, right? And yet we have an expectation of grace, of forgiveness, of uh, we're, we're all in process. And I know however much someone has offended me, it's nothing compared to how I've offended the God who has forgiven me. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to be that guy from the parable that, you know, some some guy owes me a dollar and the king just forgave my $10,000 debt and I'm beating up the guy who owes me a dollar, you know. And in the church, we have an intuition of this. So we should have a growing uh, graciousness and that's really hard for the world to... It is because even within a family, it's hard. I think we have the realization that we're all sinners saved by grace. It's right. another way of saying the same thing. Therefore, we don't have to be perfect. Right. God loves us anyway, therefore we need to love each other anyway. So when we're offended... Right. I don't have to be demanding. Or even be sincere to explain your weaknesses, right? It's mm -hmm. like they don't, they don't, mm -hmm. you know, so that's the problem that they, 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 right. they don't want to go there, you know, because they're afraid they interfere with right. my, you know. My and I business. think even in the fellowship of the church, this is hard to develop because we're all fearful. And that idea of openness about being willing to share that I'm an actual real person, that I have sins and I don't do everything right all the time, even though I go around saying that I do. Uh, I, yeah, that's difficult to get our, over ourselves in this way. But the toolkit for getting over yourself is in the gospel, in the grace. Well, you know, Jesus got over himself, and he's the ever-living son of God. Oh, so, yeah, we have this... I'm calling it an intuition, this sort of sense that should start to seep into every relationship. And it's not smooth. <laughs> it's like you say, we got to grow, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I know it's like, you know why I say that? Because uh, a couple of months back, right? It's like, Grace is looking for a work, right? Hmm. Yeah. I know my qualifications, what I did, but I and it's, it's, it's an ongoing, it's just like when you study music, it's like you never, you never die. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing process, you know, so I consider it as a Christian as well. Right? But I had, um, I had a tendency, like, if I go to the uh, work, right, and I explain and I do demonstrations, I'll call, I'll call you back. <laughs> that never happens, right? Because, you know, knowing the situation in the bananas, like, everybody wants, like, the main places are owned by we 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 all know. So it's like um it's like that's not necessarily actually entertainment. Yeah. But I'm, that's my living thing. Right. So um it was it was like coming to my mind, I was like, man, you know, I was getting like sick and tired of you know, it's oh. how they call you, oh he's in a meeting, you know, it's always excuse, you know, they're not sincere to say, Okay, listen, I don't wanna attend you. Well, I don't yeah. have time for you. Be honest, you know, like, right. uh, you know, uh, America, if they don't like you, they will tell you right in your face. That's our character, yeah. actually. Yeah. To be honest. Especially in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I know. In a minute. Yeah, I was going to say, it depends yeah. on where you are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm right in the middle. So Some of us are more nice. Know, right. So we expect, that, we expect that to come your way. That's yeah. Well, right? But then, um, you know, after a while, I was going through this, I said, man, you know, wake up. Um, God is the one that provides, not the right. right. And I got over that, you know? Yeah. 
Right. Because sometimes you have to you have to speak with yourself and say, hey, I'm thinking right, or I'm depending on what I think is best, yeah. or it should respond. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, that all goes back to what you're saying: true knowledge and true discernment. Yeah. True knowledge and true discernment includes grace and transparency mm-hmm. and self-awareness that you're not perfect. And yeah, when you're with believers, everybody knows. Everybody has a sense of that. Yeah. But when you're in the world, People think they have to stand on their own two feet, and they, they are who they are, and we can't challenge them. They won't let you challenge it. And, you know, oftentimes, it's you can tell when it's people uh, they love, they're loving and all that until they're offended. Yeah, and then and then once you go into that, then then you really get to see: are they going to let that go? Yeah, or are they going to keep track of it? Uh, you know. Well, and I think we shouldn't assume that even though we are people who know Christ and we have experienced the love of Christ, that we're really good at it. Because if we were all instantly good at it, it wouldn't need to be a prayer in the New Testament for the church. We, we need this. This is a, this is a thing I, you know, if I think about, I, you know, I can just think about the last 24 hours and say, man, this is something I need. I don't possess, I can't produce this out of my own resources. I need the Lord to fill me in such a way that I know his love in such a way that it spills out on other people. Because my natural way is the same old self-protective, self-exhibiting, self-aggrandizing way. And it's just... a the, uh, it's the ongoing permanent challenge of walking as a Christian to sort of grow out of that and to open yourself up again. Uh, and that's what the Lord is working. It's just kind of opening us up and making us real reflections of his character, uh, which is like, wow, <laughs> that would be, that's fantastic. And one day it will be fully realized. Wow. So... Uh, it's a good thing. Well, uh, we should probably stop. It's, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your love for us in Christ. Lord, help us to see it, to really know it, to be, uh, to experience it for ourselves, to become people who know love and abound in love. Lord, we just want to agree with the apostle in this prayer for the church, for us, each one, for us as a body of Christians. Lord, we do pray that we would be more and more true exhibits of of this love. Thank you for the grace that you have given to us. And Lord, uh, thank you that your spirit is faithfully working to grow us into people who are good representatives of the nature of Christ. Lord, uh, we just pray as we go uh, that you would go with us. Pray to bless each one here and our time together tomorrow in church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.